You are listening to the Boise Dev Podcast. Alec Williams, thanks for joining us on the Boise Dev Podcast. How are you? Good, Don. Thank you for having me. Where are you today? Uh, I am uh, splitting my time between Boise and McCall, and today I came down uh, to Boise because we have better Wi-Fi here for podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, it's it's good, and and that boy Wi-Fi McCall can be can be tough. Um, maybe that'll get better over time. So we want to have you on uh, the podcast today uh, to talk a little bit about what is really, frankly, one of the largest development issues in Idaho in a long time. And sure. uh, you have formed a firm to, uh, to, to maybe make, make a big thing happen up there. And um, it's obviously gotten a lot of attention. Um, I'll just disclose up front, uh, like you, um, my family has long been rooted in McCall um, since the, gosh, since the 1900s. Um, and we own land up there. Um, so, so many Idahoans, it's hard to shake a stick without having somebody who loves, loves Idaho. Tell me what yeah. you and your firm are hoping to do. Yeah, sure. So um, let me just start by prefacing all this in that um, I, I think most of what folks have heard about what we're attempting is sort of the opposite of what we're trying to do. And I think a lot of folks' initial fears and suggestions for what we should be instead doing are actually what we're trying to do. And, and um, chances like this to have a, uh, a, a more detailed conversation about that type of planning, and, and it's more of a process than anything, um, is really helpful because I think it helps um, everyone to understand what, what our, our actual intentions are this and how we intend for our, our actions to, to, to follow those intentions. So, um, like you, our family's been in McCall for a very long time, and it's, and it's an exceptionally important place in my life. Um, and for, it's largely for those reasons that we've tried to put together a team of folks um, that are it's a pretty scrappy company that is uh, oriented around solving this problem. So we've modeled this on kind of public-private partnerships or social entrepreneurship efforts of the past. Uh, which really try to use the power of um, markets and the private sector and private industry to solve public problems. Um, and the problem that we encountered was um, has kind of two components to it. Uh, one is that um, as we did more and more research and asked more and more questions, we realized that the um, you know, the, the lands around McCall um, are meant to be managed um, in the long-term interests of school beneficiaries. Uh, and because over 100 years, McCall has transformed um, as a very diff different industrial base now than it did a century ago. Uh, and getting the same returns from some of these lands is, is very difficult uh, in a moment when schools have very distressed budgets. And so we were trying to solve that problem for the state in a way that asked, how do you actually improve these areas for existing users uh, and future users in McCall. And the problem we tried to tackle is, uh, how do you do something uh, opposite from every model that's been pursued in this area? How do you do something that doesn't rely on fences or gates, but instead uses the public access that exists there now to create enough value that then pays for uh, keeping that public access permanent forever? Um, and those were the two problems that we tried to solve for at the same time. And we realized that um, most of the models that have been pursued uh, 
don't address those two things, right? So when, when the state has looked to troubled properties in the area of McCall in the past, whether it's, um, you know, the, the cottage site leasing program or the, uh, you know, Cougar Islands, which they decided to auction a couple months ago, uh, or even kind of the now, um, the, the, the piece of land on the water where the, the proposed wedding site was to go. Um, in each instance, when the state can't come up with a better, more holistic alternative, um, they sort of have to wash their hands and sell these, these properties because that's how they do right by school children statewide. Um, and our thinking is that if we couldn't come up with a better alternative than that, uh, that that same strategy of just selling stuff because it's the simplest solution to extract the state from a sticky situation, if we couldn't come up with a better solution than that, we were going to see, see that same dynamic play out um, not only on these remaining points of access where the public can reach the water, but on a lot of the, uh, you know, the lands that, that extend more and more uphill into the forests that we all love to hike on. Um, and so what we did is we tried to come up with a process um, to uh, basically assemble all the main uh, key interest groups, uh, the key users, key recreationalists, the key conservation groups in the state, and, uh, and come up with a better alternative that actually kept in place public access on these lands forever. So what is that alternative? Sort of in yeah, simple sure. terms that people can understand. Yeah, sure. So simply put, we have dedicated, basically it's the largest conservation project ever undertaken in the state of Idaho, financed through private funds. And the way it gets um, basically paid for is you reserve uh, you know, small, modest clusters of areas to meet McCall's growing needs, uh, not this year, but phased in over decades. And then you use those small development clusters to then pay for the access and conservation you work, work you do on the vast majority of all these lands. So your proposal, as I understand it here, uh, kind of what I'm trying to get to here is to purchase some timberlands in North Idaho with, with private funds and mm-hmm. then work with the Idaho Land Board to swap for 28,000 acres um, that kind of surround Payette Lake, I think is maybe the simplest way to put it. Is that kind of the gist here? Is that the simple way of putting the idea? Generally, yeah. Yeah, you, you know, you use private financing to purchase private lands in North Idaho. Um, those lands then become state endowment lands. So they get opened up to the public there as well. Um, you put in a tax escrow structure um, in North Idaho to help offset any sort of impact to those counties' tax bases. Um, so basically, they get no impact to their tax base or very little, if any, impact to their tax base. Um, but those, act- those lands then become public for North Idaho residents. And what you do in McCall is you keep those lands open for the public as well. So you, you have essentially a doubling of publicly usable land. But what you're doing is you're taking lands that right now are endowment lands and you're transforming them into true public lands. Um, and there's a variety of instruments to do that, whether it's conservation easements or conservation projects or um, you know, selling lands to conservation foundations, all of which would require that these lands be kept open for public use forever. So you, you know, you talked to uh, the McCall City Council a couple weeks ago and, and uh, made a presentation and then took some questions from council members. And, and uh, you know, I've lost, watched a lot of, of council meetings over time. Not so many McCall, although with the mask mandate, I've been watching more lately. Um, sure. 
And it opened up for questions, and boy, they really came at you with some uh, questions that made my journalist heart proud. I mean, they, they did some digging there. Uh, but one of the things you said in the presentation was um, trust takes a lifetime to earn and a moment to lose, and, and I think that's true. Uh, this process is going to hinge on people trust, people trusting trusting you, frankly. Yeah. Um, and so then I watched the, the Idaho Land Board meeting um, in June, and I was struck that um, to a person, I think, except for Missy Barra, each member of the board said, well, we've had private meetings with Alec or with my staff has or representatives. And, and, and I heard that come up over and over after that, like, well, how do we trust you if you're having private meetings with the land board before this goes public? How do you yeah. earn that trust? You're going to have to have it to make this happen up front. And I don't know that it's there. How are you going to get there? Yeah, sure. So first, let me address the, the land board point, right? So we haven't even presented yet to the land board in person um, because we actually wanted to present to the city council as a council and to Valley County's commissioners as a commission uh, and have those be the first time that we're presenting live in public meetings um, because we really wanted this to be a, a locally focused solution. Now, look, uh, there, there, the, there are five members on the land board and they're there for a reason. So think about the reason. This land board manages assets on behalf of school, primary school beneficiaries, right? So that's why the state superintendent of public instruction sits right. on that board. It's why the governor sits on the board. It's why, because of the legal complexity, the attorney general sits on the board. So we, we tried to have meetings with these folks to just understand if a solution this large to a problem this messy was even possible. Um, and some of those meetings focused on the subject matter expertises of those office holders, right? So when you try to understand the legal complexity of the land exchange, it probably makes sense to talk to the attorney general's office around that complexity. When you're trying to come up with an $85 million solution to public schools amidst a budget crisis, it probably makes sense to understand the needs of public schools amidst the budget crisis. Um, that's very different than talking about a plan or a presentation to a board. Uh, what it's really trying to do is understand where the needs are in the different aspects of government uh, and society so that you can craft a solution that solves for them. Um, it's why we are waiting to continue to solicit that type of feedback now from, from local interests as well. Uh, before we actually present in person to a statewide organization, which we, we haven't done yet. Um, and it's, you know, pe people say that's distrustful. I think that that's just like a necessary, like you need to do your research before you try to come up with a solution to a, a problem that is as politically sticky and is, um, uh, you know, sticky for a lot more reasons besides just politics. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, <laughs> but you're right. And I, I think that like, you know, you, you brought up this issue of trust, and I think in every um, in every every job, every role I've ever had in life, um, you know, trust has been critical. Um, and and I I I, um, I I think I understand I understand why people are fearful of private industry trying to come in and solve a problem that's that's this messy uh, because they don't have great examples to look toward, right? Like when when folks like the Wilkes brothers closed off a lot of lands to public use, while they were technically private lands before then, they didn't do any favors to the idea that private industry could actually be used to solve for, for public challenges. Um, this model has been done in other places. 
Um, but it's rare for this type of thing to happen in Idaho. I mean, can you, you know, if you're, if you're trying to conserve, you know, 24, 25,000 acres and hopefully more of land and use private funding to do so, that's just not, not a model that has existed in a lot of places. Um, because very few companies have that type of balancing of different interests like conservation and access as reasons for their foundation in the first place, whereas ours does. So, you know, you bring up conservation and it's interesting because uh, I think that one thing that makes Idaho politically unique is that conservation runs through both uh, folks who identify as Republicans and folks who identify as Democrats. In fact, you can look at conservation voters for Idaho and two of the big candidates they've backed in the last few years are Governor Brad Little, a Republican, and Mayor Boise Mayor Lauren McLean, a Democrat. And, and and conservation is something that I think a lot of people believe in. And maybe that's where the worry comes from with this. And, and you talk about the Wilkes brothers, and they certainly have moved in and uh, ruffled a lot of feathers. But what they did essentially is took uh, previously private land. It turned over to new owners, and they said, well, we're you know new sheriffs in town. Yeah. And that's one of the things I hear from people around the lake is, hey, you know what? I can take Alec at face value and I can, I can listen, I can read the website and I can trust that. But once it's in private hands, there's no future control. Uh, Alec may, yeah. may lose control. New, new folks may come in, uh, you know, a generation or two down the road. Another group like the Wilkes brothers may buy this private land. And, and I think that's where worry comes in is like, sure. He may be, we can take him at face value and he's earnest, but what happens next? Is there any protection yeah, sure. for that down the road piece? Yes, yes, absolutely, okay. Don. That's a great question. Explain that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's I, this is not an exercise in trying to ask everyone to just trust you, um, because while I think trust is is very important and integrity is very important, I'm also conscious that um, you know that that's a big ask of people, uh, and it's not a necessary ask either. So what what we're trying to, to so this is first off a long process, right? Like this takes months and months and months to do probably more measured in years than in months. And, um, what that allows us is it allows us time to do a couple things. First is to actually do detailed environmental studies of where all the key habitat is and ensure that, you know, the, the development footprint you put in place to pay for all this type of conservation work is well placed. Um, and is actually a, a net benefit to conservation area uh, efforts in this area. Um, these are the types of studies that, you know, so, some exist and, and we're trying to bring a, a high level of data to solving these problems. Um, the, the trust piece over, you know, do you, will you do with the land which, with what you say you will? I mean, the whole, first off, the whole premise behind this, this idea depends on it, right? So if, if you think that the way to make a successful, um, uh, uh, development is to surround it by this n- beautiful natural park setting, uh, then you sort of have to honor, like you're, you're structuring everything to honor those commitments. Um, you would only be hurting yourself by like not doing so. Um, for that reason, it's really also easy for us to legally commit ahead of time to all these uses for these lands well before an exchange is ever approved, right? So um, you, you basically you can do uh, uh, covet like deed restrictions on how individual parcels are used that are signed ahead of time where their execution is, is just contingent on enactment of the exchange, right? So as soon as the exchange happens, 
then immediately that land is into either a conservation trust or various other conservation easements and, and instruments so that you don't have to trust the company that, that it's, it's in place. It's contractually binding, whether it's, you know, it's us as an owner or, I, I mean, we plan to hold this and, and do these sure. efforts for generations. Um, but even if, you know, God forbid, or something happens, all of those commitments would still have to be honored because they would be kind of contractually committed to ahead of time alongside, you know, the folks who would be the stewards of the easements or different public entities that would be, would be helping in those conservation efforts. So, you know, you talk about some modest development plans, obviously, uh, you've got some investors coming in and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, you are a for-profit company and, and, um, and obviously you, you're doing this to at the end of the day, make money. And of course you do a podcast and your phone blows up. So I apologize that oh, it's okay. like 10 texts and three phone calls. So for people listening, yeah, Don, let me, let me, though, noise, let me interrupt you on one thing that, yeah. that set up the company. We think of, uh, when you talk about I think the $85 million benefit to public schools is a very conservative estimate. Um, sure. I think it's like the true number is likely to be much, much higher than that. Um, when you try to solve that um, and undertake the largest conservation project on the, in the state and keep all the public access in place that existing users enjoy, um, that's not a for-profit company model. It's a, it's a scale of a solution that has to re- rely on private sector funding. But it's not... Um, if, if all we were like, this is, <laughs> this is not a simple way to make money. This is like the messiest possible way to try to have a successful business, but we think it's the right thing to do. And that's why, you know, all of our efforts are geared around how do we structure a for-profit business that is able to forever honor all of those access and conservation commitments that we are, are the reason we got involved in this process in the first place. Okay. I understand that, but, but I was going to ask a different question, but so I will ask this sure. question now then, you know, you have, you have investors and people put money into a pot and they expect a return on that investment. Uh, so there's always going to be maybe some natural conflict between what you're hoping to do. And, you know, if I, if I give you half a million bucks and I invest in this, uh, I'm not going to expect to just get a half a million bucks back in 10 years. I want a return on that. That's going to be greater than I could get in the market or in a savings account. And so how are you hoping to drive those returns for investors? And and I understand what you're kind of saying on the other piece, and that makes sense, but still there's that investment piece. How, How are you going to do that? Sure. So oftentimes investors invest in these projects because they think they're going to be worse returns than the market. Um, but they care about the non-monetary aspects as well, right? So if you invest in a, like in a data company that tries to reduce prison recidivism, for example, and there's companies that do this, that's a for-profit company trying to solve a social good. Um, and you invest in it in part because you think you'll at least get your capital returned. And so it's easier to, um, you know, give to those efforts larger amounts of money because it's not just a donation. Um, but it's also solving for a real social problem that you've identified. And we structure our company to do the exact same thing. This is the whole concept behind social entrepreneurship. So are you um, doing like a B Corp structure then or? So we haven't set it up as a, as a B Corp structure just because we haven't needed to. We've used an LLC structure so far. Um, when we get to that size, uh, we can. But even a lot of the companies that are found around social entrepreneurship, it's, it's not the corporate form that matters. It's, it's what you identify as your, as your company's mission. Um, the corporate form doesn't dictate that. It's it's the conversations you have, it's the mission statements you have, um, and, and it's all disclosures you make. So what we've done is, you know, 
our, our investors are all primarily Idaho residents that care about the future of this area. Um, they either are in McCall, uh, live there, or have you know family homes there, uh, or have been there for for decades, uh, and with like frequent frequent touch points in this area. Um, because they care about what happens to the future of these lands. They enjoy them in the same way the general public does. And so they think that a type of solution like this makes sense for their children and their grandchildren for, for generations. And that's, for them, worth putting portions of their retirement savings and their life savings into it's because it's a cause they believe in. They also hope they get paid back, and that's why they're willing to put more money into this than if you were to just – you know, pass around the pan and ask for a donation. But when you're trying to come up with something that's in the hundreds of millions of dollars, it's really difficult to do that with charity alone. And that's why we think that, um, you know, private financing can actually provide this type of social benefit in a way that, you know, asking for, for charity alone just, just wouldn't be able to pull off. So you talk about the mission statement. This actually came up at the McCall City Council, and 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 um, I'm looking at the Trident Holdings website, and it talks about a core business is to target opportunistic transi- uh, transactions that provide significant creative value to investors, but also yep. honor and improve the communities to which the projects are located. Is that in the right order? So, uh, yeah, but did you also read the Preserve McCall website, which is our project website, right? So, oh, yeah, I've done a lot of reading. Project, <laughs> There's a lot of reading yeah, out here. So, so people look at, you know, uh, uh, you have your project, which is what we're trying to do in McCall, and then you have, you know, a, a way to sort of showcase your professionalism at being able to pull these types of things off. And, uh, you know, we've tried to do both because, again, the key to social entrepreneurship is that you can both run a successful business in solving a public problem. Um, so yeah, like we have tried to create out of, you know, out of a very messy political situation, a, a business opportunity for investors. But the whole reason that they're interested in it is because they think they will get their money back while at the same time contributing toward helping an area they love. Um, and so, I think that like the idea of taking and, and what, you, what you made the, the comment, the, the quote that you made, um, is really important because the idea of building and caring for communities is the type of thing that is often left off when people quote from a website. Um, you know, they, they sort of conveniently forget that part of the reason you're able to credibly do this is because you are caring about the communities. You, the council asked you um, who your investors are, and, and the SEC. You have an offering out with the S that's been filed with the SEC for about a million dollars in in uh, stock. I think is the way to put it. And the SEC filing said there's about 300,000 that that's been sold. Uh, the council asked you if you would identify those investors and you said you'd need to get permission. That was about three weeks ago. Have you, you've gotten permission? Can you outline some of the folks that have put the, the, their money yeah, in so, the pot here? So Don, I think like here's, here's the challenge right now is that um, as you rightly have talked about, um, you know, the, the, there, there are a lot of personal attacks um, that have nothing to do with this plan at all. Sure. And I think our fear right now is that um, that investors, even local to McCall, don't necessarily want to be subject to those types of personal attacks when they go shopping at Albertson. Um, it's sort of unfair to ask them to do that. Uh, now, we are like, we are still working to try to have those conversations around. Um, and, and by the way, that's just an initial filing, right? So that's not you know, the sure. current state yeah. of your company affairs, right? That's just when you do a private placement, um, you know, that, that type of information gets gets submitted, but that's not yeah. like a, a steady state uh, of the company. And I think right now, um, you know, until we have more details 
uh, out there for the public to be able to consume and provide input on and provide feedback for. Um, you know, we just we, we just want to be like the single source of, uh, of communication on behalf of all the people that are involved in this project because we've set up the team to do so, right? Like we are driving a lot of the planning alongside a variety of different partners in McCall. Um, it's it's not you know it's not local mom and pop investors who have lent their uh, retirement savings to us who are driving the solution. It's it's really the, the various members of the community, whether they support the idea or not, we still need their feedback in how to make this land uh, usable for generations to come. I'm struck, I guess, at the way this kind of goes. You talk about trust and needing to build trust. You're saying that at least some of your investors are people who are in McCall and care about the community. And, you know, I've talked to people, this is what comes up over and over and over. Two things come up. One, you look at the map and the visual is like, wow, that's just a lot of land. And maybe it's because it's kind of an inverted shape of the lake. And so your brain is able to process like how big that is. Um, But then it's, it's, you know, who is this? And, 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 Alec comes in and you have a, you know, impressive uh, resume of, of education and, and your experience in the military, but you're it. And so you can't figure out who, who who's the money and, and where is so, it Don, coming from? And so, and so how do you build assumes, that trust? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's a great question, Don. So everybody assumes like there's some like secret, you know, huge like puppet master in the background. There's not. This is This is an attempt to provide a mechanism for the city, the county, and all the other people that we hope to partner with in a much more expansive sense of partnership um, to actually have that input, right? So, you know, the reason that we um, we, we didn't come out with a, like a more and more detailed, you know, uh, planning map that says this is exactly what has to be in exactly different each location, which is how it, like a normal developer approaching this problem right. would, yeah. right? Like For they sure. would come out, they would come out and they would say, houses go here, 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 here. Um, you know, this gets used for this purpose. And then they take it to the city and the county and they say, what are the minimal sacrifices that we need for you to consent to this plan? Um, yeah. Our approach has been at every stage the opposite. And so when I say look to your actions to judge your intentions, I, I mean that. Like look to our actions on how we've tried to approach this, how we've tried to put the city, the county, the different interest groups really in the driver's seat um, in, in, in helping us figure out how this land is used. And we've, we've done that. And those conversations are ongoing. Um, we're working with a variety of environmental consultants, um, you know, groups around uh, McCall to get their input on exactly what needs to happen with these areas. And we'll be, in, you know, revealing all those details as we assemble them in alongside our, our community partners. Um, and, and I think that, like, when people ask, like, who's steering this ship? Um, our, our hope is that it's steered by those groups, not by me, not by anybody who's invested their, you know, some of their life savings in this project, um, but by the community. And I think like the fact that, uh, you know, the reception has been a little bit distrustful is just because they've, folks don't get that type of offer uh, or opportunity very often. Um, I mean, I think it was, it was revealing, you know, the first hour of that city council meeting was them bemoaning how difficult it was to come up with solutions. Affordable housing. housing. And, and I think they were, they were not expecting me to say at the beginning of my remarks, Hey, we have one solution. It, you know, may, maybe it's not the solution you want to provide or, or follow or, or enact, but I, I'm actually trying to bring opportunities for the city to solve problems like that. 
um, how it would like to, uh, and to provide a land-based solution for doing so, right? Like this is the chance for, you know, for us to actually help solve this local housing problem for McCall for, for generations, not just for this particular moment in time. Um, so I think and that's why we want them as partners. So I think maybe that's, you know, you talk about, you don't have that detailed land use plan. And in fact, uh, unless it's changed in the last few days, there's not a map on the website at all on your, on your, uh, preserving McCall website. Um, and you talk so about have, small. Yeah, we we actually have a lot of a uh, a lot of the reports that you can download from that uh, that site um, do include like detailed maps. They include you know details on the on the individual parcels too, and okay. and uh, and we'll keep providing more information on that. So so the challenge is that right now, again, um, you know this doing the environmental studies necessary to identify key habitat it just takes time. Um, yeah. You know, doing the type of community input gathering on. You know what exactly becomes of you know x parcel or y parcel that type of stuff takes time and we didn't we didn't want to get it wrong but what we are doing is we're working with um you know a variety of large-scale conservation groups and master planning architects and geotechnical engineers to to try to understand you know where all those key habitat and concert conservation areas are where the key you know all the trail systems that you know we want to be able to honor and improve um, are so that you can get the plan right, but it will still be a working template that you tinker with over the next year. Um, and, and you continually are going to be incorporating community feedback from, and our plan is that we can get that assembled, uh, we hope in the next four weeks so that we at least have an, a working template, uh, for community members to provide input on whether they support the idea or not. But I think for us, the challenge is always, Look at the alternative, right? Look at what alternative the state has in all of this. And, and the alternative is, is, is sort of how the last 20, 30 years have played out and what we anticipate um, the next 20 or 30 years would, will play out without this type of solution, which is piecemeal sale of small, you know, s small tract acreages that get fenced off and used for state lots and, and, uh, and, and the public loses its ability to actually access these plans. And our thinking is that when when faced with that type of choice, which we know is the type of challenge facing the state, um, this offers a much better alternative to, to that. And, and it's the chance for the community's input on, on not only how do they keep the existing assets they have in place and the existing uses they have in place, but how do you actually improve those uses, right? So when you drive around the, the lake, for example, and at key summer weekends, you know, it's, it's just a ton of, ton of cars parked on what are endowment lands and the few remaining places where they can access the lake. This is the chance to actually improve those areas, to put, uh, you know, some, some parking facilities that's not right on the road, but maybe off the road and uphill a little bit. So you can kind of decrease the, suggest the, the congestion that the lake faces now. That right now, you know, a lot of these key trailheads of these uphill sloped areas, you have to have like a four wheel ATV to even be able to get to if the gates aren't locked. Like right now, a lot mm -hmm. of these gates are closed and are locked. And people talk about, you know, gates and fences. And right now they're, they're there on some of these places. And, and our hope is that, that you can actually open these areas and make it easier to, for folks to get to the trails. And so that in the summer, it's not just thousands and thousands of people descending upon uh, on the lake, but you, you actually provide opportunity to pull congestion away from the waterfront uh, and, and have people uh, more easily enjoy the trails, the networks, the meadows, the, the, the wilderness that exists uphill from the water. 
So let's let's talk about you. You mentioned kind of small pockets of development, and I know there's not a, a plan here, and, and some of that's by design. And sounds like maybe some of it's just a function of, of timetable. When you talk about small pockets of development, what are you talking about? Yeah, sure. So there's sort of two thinking on uh, two two modes of thinking on on how do you provide a meaningful home for somebody, right? One is the what's kind of called the estate lot model, right? So let's say you have 100 acres. And um, and you ask, you know, how how is how does somebody enjoy a hundred acre square? Um, well, either you can sell them a hundred acres, and that's their own, you know, private little hundred acre piece of heaven, uh, or uh, and that's what you know, you, it's called an estate lot because it's like this big lot. Um, the other model is, well, what if you just sell them one acre or half an acre, uh, and you give them a ninety nine acre backyard? But that backyard then gets shared with the broader public and other people who can use those areas. Uh, and so our thinking is, um, if you cluster together small pods of development, right, like you know uh, a couple dozen homes that are, are are condensed together, you know they're on small small like parcels themselves, small little plots of land, and then you just nestle these um, clusters in a broader park that remains open to the public that relies on its existing trail network, then you give those types of homeowners um, something special, which is the chance to be, to be able to be just a, you know, a stone's throw from getting on these trails and using them. Um, but you keep those same trails and open areas available for public use. How much, how much money do you think you have to raise to make this happen? Uh, I mean, I think a lot of it's going to depend on, um, well, uh, again, our, our hope is to phase this type of stuff in over decades. So our, our hope is that, you know, you can do a modest level of development phased in over time that sort of pays for the continuation of this, um, of these conservation efforts over the long term, right? So uh, I don't have a hard answer for you right now because a lot of that will depend on, uh, imagine for a second, right? Like if, if, um, if you work with the community and they say, uh, you know, you like this area is great. Uh, but it's, it's maybe because of its rocks or its distance from existing infrastructure. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's less impactful to habitat. And so the development that you do should go there, but then it just becomes a more expensive process to do that. And our thinking is always that what we want to try to balance is how do you do a, you know, a level of development that can pay for the rest of it, but keep that footprint small enough that it doesn't actually change the character of how people enjoy these plants right now. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, remaining um, variables in answering that question that, that you just can't answer today. So we're talking tens of millions, hundreds of millions. I mean, give me a ballpark here, 50 bucks, well, like, a, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, think about the value of the land itself, right? So yeah. any exchange is done on a value for value basis. Um, and that is determined not by us, not by the state. It's determined by an independent appraiser that the state hires to, to do this stuff. Um, and so that could, you know, who, who knows exactly what that'll come in at, you know, that could be, uh, it could be $30 million. It could be $50 million. It could be, uh, who, who knows? Um, and, but, and to our point, this, but to get this deep in the process, I imagine you have to have looked at a pro forma and said, we think it's going to cost this ballpark. Yeah. I just can't imagine you get this far down without having an idea of, of what the yeah, numbers no, are going to be. We have a sense for like the range of how the, the land values will come out. But what we don't have a sense for yet 
is what are the right areas um, for conservation and what are the right areas for development? And then how do you uh, come up with a development plan that uses that type of guidance from, you know, that's really a habitat analysis uh, to, to actually honor those commitments over time, right? Uh, how do you work with the city and county to identify their their growth needs? What they you know what they're looking to for for low income housing? Factor all of that into your process. Um, there are so many unresolved variables right now that giving you a hard number is just at this stage impossible. Um, but you can look to you know if if you think the land cost is uh, and again it's not a it's not a purchase. So what we're doing is we're trying to target land right, right. and. Yeah. In the north, that unlocked a lot of other sources of value for for the education endowment, um, and that's also like a very very tricky process because you have to come up with things that benefit school children a lot more than you know if, if the Department of Lands were just to go about selling this stuff, right? So, but even if they were to just go about selling this stuff, and if they did that, we wouldn't be interested and we wouldn't be working on it because the idea of just buying up a bunch of small parcels and having it surrounded by other privately owned small parcels and everybody with fence lines in between is just that's not a vision from a call that i i share and i, I think most folks would be upset by it um, yeah. but you know you quickly see how the scale of these types of projects uh you know become much larger than what um what philanthropy alone is going to be able to provide and so you have to come up with some way um that honors what the community wants but also is able to pay for solutions that are that large people get caught in the what ifs here and i think it's partly because of this process it started quietly and then became public but public without a plan and you've outlined why what do you say to people who are like you know boy i'm worried that there's going to be a marina a new marina on the lake or the hills are going to look like tahoe or all these things that people's minds naturally go to because they worry and they love mccall and they love the area how do you help them feel better about that not being the route here yeah so look to the process that we've put in place right you said that there's uh you know you criticized the lack of planning and our, our thinking is that um the whole point of this process is that it's not just us doing the planning in isolation. The whole point of reaching out to every group that we reach out to, uh, you know, assembling a community board of, uh, of, of try to every key interest in how these lands are used, and then having them in the driver's seat, uh, picking how the actual land use planning occurs. Um, that's, that's a process we believe in. Right. Like it, that matters far more than the actual, you know, this acre gets used for this purpose or, or this acre gets used for another purpose. Um, the, the, the whole key is how do you empower these groups that right now don't have any power in what happens here? Right. Right now, the state is the zoning authority for these lands. Um, you know, they, if they want a wedding site on a piece, then they can just make it happen because they are um, a higher level of government than the county or the city. Uh, and, and our thinking is that we're trying to lower that decision-making authority, um, you know, to the county, to the city, and then and then below that to the actual community itself. Um, and this is a way to do that. Uh, and, and this is sort of the opportunity to have a say in what becomes of this area for several generations, not just the state asking each year, should we sell it to, to private individuals in 320-acre chunks, or should we hold it until next year and then make that decision again? So I think, and, and you know, you've you've lived in and around Idaho a long time, and and I like to think I'm a student of of, of what's happened before. And I think about 
Sun Valley. And yeah. Sun Valley is very, very different from McCall. Um, but in the 1970s, the Holding family uh, purchased uh, the Sun Valley Resort, which is not 28,000 acres, but is a significant piece of the land holding in that area. Mm-hmm. And at the time, people in the community were worried. Uh, they were upset. This is a guy who kind of made his name in in the Sinclair oil business. And there was a bumper sticker that was famous up there that said, Earl is a four-letter word, and Earl being Earl, Earl Holding, and, and he was not well-liked for a long time. Sure. Now, 30, almost 40-plus years hence, I think the holdings are very popular in Sun Valley. And in fact, people are worried that with Earl's passing that, you know, this could this could go the way of being owned by Aspen or, or Vale. Sure. How do, you, how do you think you go from um, being a guy who, gosh, you know, Alec is a four-letter word, could be a bumper sticker that we may see in McCall. How do you think you go from a point right now where people are very worried to getting to where the holdings are, where they're very respected and liked. How do you do that? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I, I, I don't anticipate this being a 30 or 40 year process. I think that when you actually get to the stage, you know, uh, hopefully several months from now or a half year from now, when you have the community led detail generation for how each each specific piece of land is used, the, just the sheer scope of the conservation effort that's being undertaken. Um, I think people are going to see that and say, actually, that makes a lot of sense because if you look to, you know, the different public comments, uh, the comments we've received, uh, uh, you know, the, the con- like we, we go through every city council submitted comment, every land board submitted comment and ask, this is a really good idea. How do we incorporate it? Um, and so, it, I mean, it, all of those comments are being, you know, combed through by us for creative solutions on what happens with these lands. And it's the working groups we're running, the focus groups we're trying to run, the meetings with different interest groups. Um, and so our thinking is that this idea of coming up with a solution that has broad consensus will actually be a relatively quick process. It's not going to be something that takes 30 or 20 years like you identify. And, and part of that is because we're not trying like we're not trying to make McCall into the next Sun Valley. We're trying to keep McCall like it is, um, provide an avenue for the growth that it's going to face regardless without exacerbating those types of growth problems. You know, you're not trying to target an international market in the same way that Sun Valley is because it's McCall is just a very different place than that. Uh, and we're trying, we're really trying to honor its history and the history that, you know, that my family and yours share up there, uh, in, in terms of keeping everything we like about McCall, solving some of the, the acute pain points it feels, uh, and then putting in a solution that will last and have broad consensus and appeal for, for several generations. What do you hope to say to people who may say, I don't trust it. I think these should be public lands forever. Let's find a way to change the constitution so that we can change the way it works. What do you say to those folks? Uh, what I say to them is, is uh, on, on most of those points, I'm with you. Let's make these public lands forever. I 100% agree that they should be public. So let's make them public. And we have a way to do that. Um, you know, right now, they're not public lands. They're endowment lands. And right now, they're under the constant threat of sale. Let's remove that threat forever in a way that keeps these lands open to the public forever and that, you know, can credibly commit to honoring those those promises forever through, you know, legally binding commitments, through, uh, you know, funding for conservation, 
through uh, you know keeping in place the public's ability to enjoy these lands and actually improving those same avenues for use as well. Um, that's that's the whole point of what we're trying to do. And I think you know look to the product of of what we're working on, not uh, you know not sort of the initial fears because those same fears that folks share about what might happen are the same fears that prompted us to get involved in the first place. And everything we're doing is to is to address them because they're the same fears that we share. We want these lands to be public lands, uh, not just this moment in time where they're endowment lands that have some public access on them, but actually make them true public lands forever. Alec Williams with uh, Trident, I really appreciate you taking the time and helping put some new information out into the world and helping people understand your project. Thanks, Don. Appreciate it.